0: episode 20 of the shoeless goat podcast for a cubs white Sox, and mlb podcast 20 episodes in a row i'm your host nick and i am joined again by the mayor of section 509 patrick Bovar. pat how you doing
1: uh i'm doing pretty good nick um you know and you know just want to be the first person to wish you uh via podcast form a happy birthday it's too bad the uh the episode number didn't line up with the gold number 25, but you know, it is what it is a little bit off, but in any event, happy birthday.
0: Yeah, I could finally rent that car. I've been waiting 25 years That's to a big one. a uh, Chrysler, Chrysler town and country is what I'm going for. You
1: know, they say getting your driver's license at 16, uh, being able to buy lotto tickets at 18, and then obviously 21 are the big ones. But I think that rental car at 25 has got to be the top of the list.
0: I think it's like the last stepping stone or like the last um barrier as an age barrier besides like AARP I guess, right?
1: Yeah, either that or you know, yeah, again, those kind of senior discounts or unless you have any eyes on political office such as mayor, uh, there might be some uh age limits on that, but luckily for section five and nine there is a, no such
0: this is so bad because I just took like the bar exam and I should know this, but I think I can run for the house now that I'm twenty five.
1: Yeah, I think that's so right. I think the house is be- twenty five this is the I did pass board. the
0: constitution test in seventh grade, so we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, anyway, uh episode twenty. So uh, notable Cubs that wore number twenty: uh, currently Brandon Kinsler, Felix P. A. Corey Patterson. So two center fielders there, and uh, former Cub, and if I'm not mistaken, former White Sox Brent Lillibridge wore twenty. Not the the biggest number in the franchise history. How about the White Sox? I didn't
1: even I didn't even realize Brent Lillibridge ever played for the Cubs.
0: Huh. It's a really Any event, time uh
1: back. yeah. Uh number 20 it's kind of like uh Kosuke Fukudome for the Sox like that. Like half season he was up here. Where my only memory is him hitting a rocket back up the middle that I got caught. But in any event, number 20s for the White Sox. Not a big number historically, but the last couple of years we got a few notable ones. I was like highlighting the 05 player that wore the number and for number 20 that is John Garland. Uh who last year when I saw him at Sox Fest, he signed he signed the ball I gave him saw Tim Anderson's autograph and he was like, Oh, who's that? I'm like, Oh, that's Tim Anderson. And he was like, Oh, what position does he play? And I'm like, Oh man, this guy, I think that's when I realized like, yeah, these former players are not in touch at all. But in any event, other number twenties, uh, Kevin Euclid, uh, for the second half of 2012 Jordan and not John Danks, uh, Tyler Saladino. And of course, probably my favorite number 20, Carlos Quentin, who's 2008 season that ended with the, uh, Bro- self-inflicted broken wrist when punching a bat is probably my top two favorite White Sox individual seasons of all time, along with the 2017 uh, Avi Garcia supernova.
0: Those are some solid twenties. I will say Carlos Quentin, obviously being one of, one of the, uh, one of the better ones. I know he's a Stanford man, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, he is. Yep.
1: Yep. When he was done with the Sox, I think that's when he went, uh went back home to uh, San Diego, played for the Padres for a couple years.
0: He did. Excellent. Okay. So the, Cubs had a pretty decent week. I'll go first with the weekly recap. Um, four and two, they had three against the St. Louis Cardinals away, three at home against the Milwaukee Brewers. Going into the series, I was thinking of doing like a Facebook poll, but I just never got around to making it. How many wins would should the Cubs get this week for you to be happy? And In my head, it was four, and they got that. The manner in which they got it was a little bit different than I w- would have uh, wanted. I wanted them to win two of three. Uh, each series, but that just didn't work out that way. Um, so starting off on Monday, a two, one loss, uh, to St. Louis, uh, you Darvish looked great, uh, six innings pitch, two earned runs, nine Ks, uh, and no walks. And that's the theme of the week for Cubs starting pitching as I believe the last six starts now starting pitching has not given up a walk. So that's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. They take the two, one loss, uh, could not get any runs across the board. The next day wasn't much different, uh, Productivity-wise, at bat, but it was a two-nothing win, and Kyle Hendricks looked just as good as you did before. Uh, seven innings pitched, no earned runs, seven Ks, and again, no walks. So we'll take that. Uh, rubber match was one of the ugliest games of the Cubs season, if not the ugliest. A eight-nothing loss. John Lester gives up uh, five earned. Uh, Five innings pitched, and the Cubs only had one hit against, I believe it was Jack Flaherty. And it was uh, new Cub, Nicholas Castellanos, who got the hit. So really bad day. At least they didn't get no hit, but that's about the only thing you can say positive about that game. Uh, Brewers come to town Friday. That uh, series knocked the Cubs out of first place. Uh, Brewers come to town, and they sweep, actually. A nice home sweep. A 6-2 win on Friday. Quintana, seven innings pitched, two earned runs. Javi had three hits uh, and three RBIs, and every single starting uh, player got a hit, including Jose Quintana, who got an RBI as well. Uh, Then Saturday, a 4-1 win. Cole Hamels makes his return from the oblique injury uh, from the DL. Probably only had about 80 pitches in the five innings. They were taking uh, taking it easy with him. Gave up one run. Got the no decision because uh, Phelps, the leader, gave up, the, the one nothing lead that they had seventh inning. The bats came alive. Unfortunately, uh, Wilson Contreras had a line drive to left and pulled up immediately on his hamstring as he was running. And it does not look good as someone who's very familiar with hamstring injuries. So, which really does kind of stink because they traded away their backup catcher, Martin Maldonado. So uh, the Cubs t- don't uh, necessarily have the depth they're looking for behind home plate, uh, but they got the win four uh, one late offense offense. Rains and then today, Sunday, when we record a seven to two win, you Darvish looks really good again. Got pulled a little bit earlier than expected. Uh, five innings pitch, one run, and, and Jason Hay- Hayward had a nice game as well. I think two hits, and Rizzo had three hits. So um, we'll take the four to two, four and two week, um, and no walks given by the starting pitchers in the entire week. So that was a record, or it hasn't happened since. The statistic in the game today said since at least 1905, when I'm sure that's when they started (laughs) keeping track of what walks were. So um, I'm sure it's actually longer than that. But uh, as far as we know, 1905 was the last time that's happened. So good week for the starting pitching. Bullpen actually looked pretty decent. uh, And they are now currently a game and a half in front of the St. Louis Cardinals and four games ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers in first place in the NL Central. So pretty good week.
1: Yeah, definitely can't really complain about that. Um, I think, yeah, the biggest thing is the uh, the Contreras injury, which, of course, it's ironic that, you know, everybody's talking about, like, why the hell are they rostering three catchers? So then they ship off Maldonado after two weeks, and, then, of course, right after that he gets hurt. So can't really make that type of stuff up. Uh, and I think just, you know, looking at the situation personally, I think the Brewers are cooked. Uh, they got no pitching. They didn't really make many moves. At, well, I guess they traded Aguilar away, but I, I just I think they're going to fade fast. Um. But yeah, 4-2, not a bad week.
0: Yeah, and some fun stories from the ballpark. Um, Ryan Braun, notable asshole, um, continued his ways this week. You know, hits a home run, starts throwing his arms up around, waving around. But the, the, the best story comes at the hands of uh, one of the other ball boys that works with me, John, who was filling up a water in the Brewers' dugout, puts it on top of the, uh, the jug only to fill up another one for one of the security guards. Ryan Braun walks over take grabs the cup takes one sip of it spits it out and just throws the cup on the ground and all, and all the water spills turns to the hallway John and says thanks and just walks away I'm just like dude this guy's just <laughs> such a dick and he always has been
1: I was gonna say I for one am personally shocked that the guy when he failed a drug test accused the uh the handler of the sample of being a Cubs fan and an anti-Semite as a jerk never would have not, never Not only that, that, Aaron
0: Rodgers bet his contract that Ryan Braun yeah. <laughs> wasn't yeah. lying, and he didn't think to text Ryan Braun beforehand before making such a such a, no. a bold call.
1: No, I mean, and then, of course, the whole, as soon as the biogenesis people come knocking, he just gives up right away. Like, nope, yeah, we're done. Just,
0: what a shitbag. Probably my great. least favorite athlete of all time. I think I've said this before on the show, and I'll say it again. I'd rather sit down for dinner with Aaron Rodgers than... Ryan Braun
1: Ooh, that's that's when you know that
0: is that is definitely when you know um, but, but all, all that aside yeah I do agree Brewers are definitely in big trouble but those bats are really good so I'm not going to count them out just yet the Cubs were I think five and a half games ahead of the Brewers before the last month of baseball last year and gave it up so I'm not uh, I'm not Throwing any chances away, the Cardinals look pretty good too. But the Cubs were able to uh, get back after that uh, that series loss earlier in the week. So I like where the Cubs are at. Uh, I just hope it continues. So uh, how about the Sox this week? I we did have the chance to attend a game together on Wednesday, which was wonderful. Besides the outcome, but how how did the rest of the week? We can talk about that as well.
1: Yeah. So uh, exact opposite of the Cubs' week, the Sox finished two and four this week, which. You know, the second half from hell keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, This week had a couple of interesting points, but overall two and four dropping the overall record on the year to 48 and 61. Uh, Starting off the week Monday, we had an off day. And then Tuesday started a three game tilt with the Mets at home. That looked to be a, you know, a very winnable series, despite, you know, their three starting pitchers were Thor, uh, DeGrom and Wheeler. So that was a rough uh, pitching matchup. But overall, I thought I was confident going into that series. Uh, The team did not keep that confidence going very long and we got swept out of our own ballpark uh first game tuesday thor was i mean he was really good seven and a third 11 strikeouts only one run Uh, lopez was able to counter that decently enough five and a thirds with six strikeouts and two earned runs the problem there was just our offense was freaking terrible um the only the only runs we scored were on an error and a sack fly by tim anderson in the ninth uh so the game actually went into 11th innings uh in the 11th Uh, McNeil and then Michael Conforto both hit home runs putting them up 5-2 and that was all she wrote for Tuesday's game Wednesday Dollar Dog night Uh, always always a fun night in the stands not as fun of a night on the field Uh, I guess the one positive for the White Sox we finally got a taste of first half Giolito back he looked pretty damn good seven and seven innings nine strikeouts only three hits in one run he was able to duel with DeGrom like really well that was a great pitching matchup DeGrom had 11 strikeouts in seven innings and only gave up a run uh just again not a good offensive night the offense has not been showing up lately uh Matt's got three in the top of the ninth off Kalume, who stayed a put at the deadline uh Sox really only got the two runs a Lurie home run and garbage time there in the ninth but overall at two four loss not a not a good showing and then Thursday was the worst game of all uh four nothing loss just we got four hits no runs I, the Mets didn't do that well on offense. You know, they got a Cano home run off Dylan Cease in the second and then uh, Cano RBI double and a Ramos single in the sixth, I believe it was, to jump to 4 nothing. Cease, not, you know, awful. Seven innings, six strikeouts, and four earned runs, but his ERA right now is sitting at uh, a little bit over six, and then Wheeler shut down the Sox, so that was that game. So after getting swept out of our own ballpark by the Mets, we went to Philly, where I thought that was just going to be even worse. Luckily I was able to get a little bit of a surprise there. We took the series two one started off with one of the weirdest games. I remember I didn't watch the whole thing. It went 15 innings, but just one of the weirder games of memory. Uh, my notes first note, their game was banana land underlined. So that's where we're going with this one started, started innocent enough. We had an Abreu home run, so he finally got himself going. Uh, Roman Quinn got one back for the Phillies. Uh, overall got to two, two in the sixth, uh, Matt Skull, freshly called up from Charlotte, was able to tie the game in the ninth with an RBI single. And then the extras were scoreless through 14, which is when things really got interesting. Uh, Roman Quinn, a uh, position player, went into pitch, and Vince Velasquez, a pitcher, went into left field. I think I believe their bullpen was exhausted at that point, so they threw Velasquez out and left probably as an emergency option. Uh, setting the stage a little bit, I believe it was two outs, runner on second, which was Jose Abreu, A base hit goes into left, and they send uh, Abreu around third to try to score, and Velasquez just guns him at the plate. Just perfect throw on a dime gets him. To me, the throw wasn't the surprising part. It was the fact that he fielded the ball perfectly cleanly and got it out of his glove immediately. Um, Pitcher should have a good arm, but that was a crazy, crazy stretch. 15th, same situation. Uh, Runner on second, which at this time it was Larry Garcia, so a little bit more speed. Abreu hits a single into left and Layuri barely beats out a laser from Vince Velasquez at home to score the winning run and then the next batter is Eloy who hits a low liner into left and Vince Velasquez lays out and catches it so he's playing a hell of a la- playing a hell of a left <laughs> field out there um but yeah Sox were able to hold on there
0: shades of Travis re- Wood uh, yeah. sorry I cut you off Travis Wood had one of those games where he uh, made a, like a diving catch against the brick wall Ivy when they stuck him out there for one at bat. It was,
1: yeah. It was just You always love seeing the pitchers in the That's, field.
0: It was like 2016.
1: It's just, they always look so awkward, but I think the other part with this game was there in the 15th. Uh, I believe it was in the 15th Carson Fulmer fresh up from Charlotte too. Oh, this guy just can't catch a break. Hits a ground ball. Uh, who, who's, I can't think of the Phillies third baseman name. Uh, but anyway, he lays out dives and gets the grounder. Fulmer is just sprinting the first and blows out his hamstring running, just pulls up limping. So he's, he's at back on the IL with oh, Dylan Covey back up to Chicago. So beautiful turn of events.
0: Uh, Lest we forget. Isn't it uh Franco, right? Yeah, yeah that's basement. right.
1: That's right. Mikel Franco. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Saturday oh, yeah. we lost two, three to the Phillies. This was a uh, Detweiler versus Ivan Nola or not. Ivan Aaron Nola, not Ivanova. Uh, So I figured this one was (laughs) going to be a loss, and I was not surprised. Uh, Nola mowed through our offense, sent it seven innings, 10 strikeouts, only three hits. Really, the only offense we got going was a John Jay double and a Yolmer single for RBIs. Uh, Phillies, you know, not a ton of offense, but they got home runs from Harper and Rice Hoskins. So really, that's just what it was. Um, A little bit of a questionable call here. We're down one. Uh, I believe it was seventh inning, one out runners on second and third. And Ricky calls for the bunt from Yolmer Hoskins. I mean, at this point, everybody knows Ricky's bunting. Uh, Hoskins is charging and gets Eloy at the plate on a safety squeeze. So just bad decision-making there. But in any event, we lost a game to the race. It is what it is. Sunday, uh, the rubber match, we won 10-5. put up a five spot in the second or third inning. I'm sorry. Uh, to open the scoring. So finally, the offense was able to come alive, which was something we had been missing all week. Um, that was capitalized by a Larry Grand Slam. Later in the game, Eloy and Tim Anderson got themselves going with home runs. Like I said, another decent start from Lopez. Uh, Marshall and Bummer shut the game down from the bullpen, and it was a pretty easy 10-5 win. So overall, a two and four week, but I, you know, that sweep against the Mets Springs, but... Taken two out of three in Philly. Can't really complain about that.
0: Uh, no, you can't. Um, Wednesday being my favorite day of that week simply because we went to the game. And I just want to give everyone a recap of uh, of our week or our Wednesday because it was a, this was a special time at the ballpark unless you were a hot dog. So
1: oh, it was a bad night to be a hot dog.
0: It was a really bad night to be a hot dog. So I leave the bar exam. Go, We go immediately to the White Sox game knowing it's dollar dog night. I go up. I grab four. Pat, being the mayor, has a little bit more clout. Grab six. We end up uh, splitting that, or I took that six one from you. So within the first, I want to say, what, fifteen minutes? We were. Oh yeah. Um, we were done with five apiece.
1: Yeah, All it right? was a blistering start. Which you know, you gotta know, you can't keep up that kind of pace. That's just it's, it's unsustainable.
0: Yeah, because it, it was before the game had even started, so I couldn't even give you a what pace we were on of how many hot dogs we were gonna eat because it was infinite. The game had not started yet. Had it been like the second inning and we've done, you know, we've done five, then you would, you know, you could carry the one Mm -hmm. and figure out how many. But we were on infinite hot dog pace and and immediately went to um, stomachache mode and uh, trying to mentally will ourselves to believe that we could have one and have more hot dogs. We also did try the beer dunking to see if that would help them go down a little bit faster. That was a horrible idea.
1: You no, know, that was a bad decision. Especially me putting mustard on the dog. That was not a good
0: combination.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the, the mu- mustard and Bud Light, not a good mix. But yeah, luckily for uh, both hot dogs, the vendors and our digestive tracks, we slowed down off that blistering start. Um, still respectable number, but not you know it was same thing I put up the week before. So not the uh, record breaking performance I was maybe anticipating, but probably you know and for long term uh, health and wellness, probably. A good thing I did not break that Marcus seven.
0: Yeah, so seven apiece. This was my first Dollar Dog Wednesday. I'm glad that I kept pace with the uh, veteran that you are. Um, we, we talked about this a little bit after the game as we were, sh- I wouldn't even say walking out. I would say shuffling out of the stadium. But uh, do you... Th-
1: <laughs> like a waddle.
0: Oh, it was definitely a waddle. Uh, do you think the uh, Chicago Dogs baseball team, who we're big fans of, have an issue with dollar dog Wednesday.
1: So that would be a hell of a marketing campaign. That's what I think they got to do now. Anytime the white Sox have a home Wednesday night game where it's dollar dog night, the next day, the, uh, Chicago dogs put their team flags at half staff at, uh, what, is, what is that? Uh, what, what's their stadium? Oh, impact oh, field. Impact yeah. field. Just moment of silence for all the fallen hot dogs before the game. I think that would be, they get some sort of partnership going on that. And you know, I'm doing this for free. I'm not even gonna ask for any money. Uh, Just maybe a little bit of a shout out when they get this genius marketing going. I'll take it. I do things for the people.
0: Yeah. So then we were talking about how horrible Dollar Beer Night would go at a baseball park.
1: Oh, it'd be there'd be riots. I don't think. Like, I still hear stories about a disco demolition night for the Sox. Like Dollar Beer Night, that would be. Luckily, they would have nets to keep people from just pouring onto the field down the lines. But, (laughs) uh, yeah, that that I just. Seeing what happens, (laughs) I mean, because like what was that like 20 years ago now where that third base coach or first base coach from Kansas City got jumped by two fans? Yeah, at least you know they would they would know to focus security along the outfield perimeter because down the lines, unless people start climbing over the nets like it's freaking Lollapalooza, uh, (laughs) those will stop people from getting in.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that we'd call it mumble wrap demolition, right? (laughs) As opposed to disco demolition. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And everyone just everyone That's just throws, saying, their phones, throws their phones, yeah, in the middle of the field. Oh,
1: open, open, to, open to SoundCloud and a pie on the middle, and we'll start blowing
0: them. Oh up. Oh my god, that is the marketing we're looking for at Thirty Fifth and Shields. I love it. Okay,
1: Debbie, you know this was, I believe, the 40th anniversary of Disco Demolition, so maybe let's give it another five years. For the big 45 we can yeah do mumble rap demolition night
0: yeah by then i think the whole world will if not already will be sick of that genre of music so uh i know i'm ready for it i will be there um i mean who knows i mean they might have nets around the entire ballpark at that point even in home run territory
1: to just nets along the ceiling we can't have can't have balls getting out there which you know it's a shame which people, people forget all you have to do is pay attention and you too can catch an 120 mile an hour line <laughs> yeah, with, drive. Your, with
0: your job, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who was the, uh, moving on? I mean, that was just, that, that was just a great, it was a great night, just not for our, our digestion. Um, but moving on, uh, nope. who was the White Sox player of the week on this two or two and four week?
1: Yeah. So this one was a little bit easy for me. Um, Hitting wise nobody really stood out. We have a lot of guys struggling since the All-Star break. James McCann has dropped his average from, like, what was it, like 320 to, like, I think he's in the 270s now. It's bad. Abreu's been bad. Eloy's been bad. Tim Anderson has been hurt and also now bad. Moncada um, was good, but now he's hurt, so that's, you know, not ideal. Uh, so I'm giving it to Lucas Giolito. We finally saw a glimpse of what he showed us before that start at Wrigley. Uh, I mentioned it in the recap, but strong outing seven innings, only one run and nine strikeouts and went toe to toe with last year's NL Cy Young winner DeGrom. So maybe not the big game he saw uh, in either of the Cubs Sox series, but, you know, he went head to head with a Cy Young winner, a guy that's one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball and pretty much went blow for blow with him and came out of that game, you know, with a hell of a line. We didn't win the game, but I mean, that was more on the offense being absolutely anemic than anything giolito did so i we've seen a good lopez in the second half if we can get giolito to bounce back and be somewhere close to where he was during that dominant run in the first half uh, that that'll be a nice silver lining on this season given all the injuries and other issues we've had but yeah this week i think it no doubt player of the week is lucas giolito
0: yeah i mean we got to see that start um couldn't pay as much attention as i wanted to one because we were in the outfield i didn't have to pay attention in order to be able to catch 110 mile an hour baseballs and two because i, I was more focused on just just yep. keeping the food down but from what i did take a, a look at when i was walking up he he looked pretty good um i was hoping for dueling no hitters but that just wasn't the case it, pretty early i think that's got to hit in like the first inning or something so, anyway yeah. Uh, Cubs player of the week, we actually, I don't think I've ever given him player of the week and we're 20 weeks in and it's Javi Baez, which is probably the most shocking thing about this. I'm maybe it's just like, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, um, the non-obvious answer and Javi's just kind of like always the obvious answer, but he had nine hits this week, a home run, five RBIs, two stolen bases. And, um, he within a two day span hit for the cycle. That doesn't really count, but he, um, he was, uh, he was on it and he's just, uh, Doing hobby things and and what was it Saturday first run of the game came because he hit a triple and then a, a wild pitch or pass ball that really didn't get that far away from the catcher. Hobby still scored easy, so it was it was pretty uh, pretty good week for hobby. Um, we need him to step up even more now with Contreras being out likely. He's getting an MRI today. I want to say so. Yeah, hobby by a great week. Okay, so moving on. Um, Big story of the week from both the Cubs and the White Sox will be somewhat similar. It's what they did at the trade deadline. We'll probably give them like a grade or something because that's what you do. You give trade deadline grades. Um, so White Sox first, uh, how'd they do in your eyes and what did, what did they do?
1: So I'll start with what they did. The only move they made was sending the longest tenured White Sox, Nate Jones, over to Texas for two like, I don't even know their names low level, not even real prospects, just like pitching fringe dudes in the minors. Really what it was, was they sent international signing pool money over to Texas and in exchange, Texas is now paying uh, Nate Jones's salary. So maybe a little bit of the uh, Jerry Reinsdorf bookkeeping special there. But like, the so that's the only move they made, which, you know, disappointed me. I saw, I would have liked to see them make a move to go get a Stroman. I don't, you know, I saw some people complaining, oh, they should have gotten Granky, but I I don't that move doesn't make sense. And two, given all the injuries they've had in the system, uh, the minor league system, that is, and the lack of like major league talent, they'd be willing to part with to get anything of like just anything in return. So not like John Jay, not Ivan Nova, Um, maybe Alex Kalume, but I don't know. I'm fine with them keeping him. There's not really I don't know what I wanted them to do. I would have liked for them to go get a young, controllable starting pitcher, but they don't really have the prospect capital to do that right now. So I, they're kind of, they're kind of a no man's land where they don't have the major league players really to flip for anything of value. Besides, like I said, maybe Kalume. a lot of people were complaining about that saying like, Oh, he's due for regression. We should have traded him. Well, like if you, Mr. Uh, Armchair GM that can go on fan graphs, two hours a day figures he's going to regress. I'm willing to bet that other 29 GMs in baseball do too. So that's why we didn't get anything for him. So overall the grade, I'm going to give the white, I, you know what? No, I'm not even going to give him a grade. It's going to be an incomplete. I don't really know what I expected out of him, but there just wasn't really much to do. So disappointing. But like I said, it matched with the expectations.
0: Yeah. They kind of just stood pat, um, kind of expected that, but good news is that they did not, they must've listened to you. They did not trade Jose Abreu. So that's actually very important.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Very happy with that. Like I said, like I wrote about this in a blog post, um, Jose Abreu, I've seen a lot of people knocking him lately, and I I don't get it. It, Sure, his OBP isn't that great, but he's going to give you 30 home runs, uh, about 100 RBIs, and he's going to hit somewhere in the 260 to 290 range. So yeah, I get it. The OBP being at like, I don't even know what his walk rate is, like 4%. percent is isn't ideal for a three hitter, but if this rebuild works the way it's supposed to, he should be your five or six hitter, which I think I'd take 30 home runs in a Maybe not 100 RBIs, but I'll take 30 home runs out of my six hitter with a low OBP. I mean, you put what? Looking at the lineup, you put Robert leading off, um, maybe Madrigal hitting two, either Eloy or Makata, some amalgamation of that three, four, and then a Brayu five. Like, he doesn't need to be a three hitter that gets on base all the time. He can be perfectly fine as a power hitting first base DH until Andrew Vaughn's ready to take over, which realistically isn't for another two years. So, yeah, I'm ecstatic they held on to him. I just think the ripple effect it would have caused throughout the team from a chemistry and a camaraderie standpoint would not have been worth the minuscule return they would have got him for him.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Sometimes it's uh, not what you do, it's what you don't do. So uh, that's why if I was going to give him a grade, I'd give him a B. Yeah, just because it would have been a lot worse if they traded him away. It really depends on what they got for him. Like if they really got some stuff, you know, if they they pulled an Adam Eaton for him, then...
1: Oh, yeah, then absolutely. I would have packed his bags for him, but realistically that wasn't going to happen. So very meh deadline, but like I said, it's in line with the expectations.
0: Yeah, um, I'm actually pretty happy with the uh, the Cubs trade deadline. Uh, four new additions to the team. Uh, Derek Holland, former White Sox, uh, also has a great Kermit the Frog impression. Uh, so always good to have that kind of guy around. I don't know if you've ever seen that he did a full interview and he's on the Giants. And, and I've not
1: Kermit, seen that,
0: and it was it was fantastic. Uh, Tony Kemp, speedster. We essentially turned um, Mike Montgomery into. Uh, Tony Kemp via the uh, the Maldonado Bridge, if you will, as Martin Maldonado uh, was sent to Houston to be a backup catcher, which is something we need right now, but too late. Uh, Luke Roy just got DFA from the Angels, so I would like to see the Cubs uh, pick him up if he clears, just to have a guy mm-hmm. um, in the meantime. Um, David Phelps, a reliever that they got from Toronto that I really don't know that much about. He did give up the 1-0 lead the other day, walked a couple guys, so not really inspiring confidence, but a lot of of season left for him to prove himself. And the the biggest part of the trade deadline was uh, trading with the Detroit Tigers for uh, Nick Castellanos. Um, He is a beast of a hitter. He's already tearing it up. I think he's got four or five hits, and most of his outs are on liners to the outfield. Uh, not much of a walk guy, not a great fielder, but uh, a perfect rental at the end of the year to fill an outfield spot um, that you don't want Ian Happ taking up, you know, when it actually matters. So I'm giving the Cubs an A minus. I'll give them an A, actually, for the trade deadline, because I'm, I'm also going to add Craig Kimbrell to that, I guess, not trades, but they, they did sign him. So that that kind of gets lumped in there, too, even though it was about a month ago. Um, so if you add guys like Castellanos and Kimbrel, you're going to get a good grade f- from me. And, uh, despite what some are saying, the Cubs have been very aggressive these last couple of years, uh, trying to assure that the playoff roster is ready to go. If they in fact do make the playoffs, which I'm expecting them to.
1: Yeah. I think overall, I'd agree with that assessment. If you're throwing Kimbrel in there, I'd give him an A, if not, I'd give him a B. Uh, I'm not really getting it into the plus minus system. But, you know, Castellanos, I think, is a great addition. Obviously, t- doesn't do much for their outfield defense, but he can hit lefties, which is something they've struggled with. So I think that's a good addition there. That helps shores up the lineup a little bit. Um, some of the bullpen moves, you know, it's just, it's, well, especially Kimbrel for bucketing that, and it's going to help uh, given the shakiness of that bullpen. The Holland addition, I, was, I guess, is more of a depth move, so it's not really, you're not expecting to get, like, an ace, but it is what it is. Overall, not a bad deadline. And I guess circling back to Luke Croy, is he still alive after getting steamrolled a couple weeks ago?
0: I honestly think the angels DFA'd him because they just don't want to deal with his future medical expenses.
1: That I would not be surprised because there's probably going to be some.
0: Yeah. He got absolutely murked, um, by that, uh, Astros guy. Um, but, uh, also, uh, side note, CJ Edwards or Carl Edwards jr. Um, was sent to San Diego. He's having a bad year. And, uh, I liked what he did for the Cubs when he was doing well, but it was, I think it was time for a change of, uh, change of scenery and San Diego is nice scenery. So I wish him the best, but it was a move that had to be made, but
1: yeah. Yeah. Unless, unless you have a dom, unless you're a dominant guy, like a Kimbrel or a, I don't know, like a Mariano Rivera, one of those like high level closer type guys, i all relievers have a shelf life. I mean, it is what it is. A lot of rel- dominance in the bullpen is based off of sample size. Um, and, you know, uh, overtime stuff course corrects. so I don't really know where Carl Edwards's true talent level lies but yeah it was time it was time to cut bait there and move on um, and like you said uh, yeah I don't want to hear about the Cubs not being aggressive over the last probably four or five years they've been w- probably top five most aggressive teams in baseball with a wallet that's only surpassed by the Dodgers and the Red Sox and the Yankees so I mean they're making all these moves and sure not all of them work out but you know you'd rather have go out and try to make moves and have some of them not work than just kind of sit on your hands.
0: Right. And it's the, they have not sat on their hands at all. I mean, we're talking, we Chapman, Daniel nope. Murphy, uh, Justin Wilson. I mean, not, not all of these worked out super well, but I mean, they, they, they went out and got guys. They tried, yeah, they tried. Yeah. Kimbrell yeah. and, and, and now Castellanos.
1: And last year it probably would have worked out better if, uh, Yelich hadn't turned into Barry Bonds down the stretch, which, you know, thinking about that, he's already had his home run total from last year, which is just wild. But, I mean, last year was just bad luck, I think. So yeah, if they can continue to be aggressive, I've always said, get a team that gets to the playoffs and from there, it's a crapshoot and they're doing everything in their power to get there.
0: Exactly. Okay. Moving on to um, our absolute favorite segment, Chicago's favorite segment, the LinkedIn player profile. For those of you who don't know, the LinkedIn player profile is where we go and find it a old cub, a old white sock. And we see what they're up to using LinkedIn primarily as one of their sources, and uh, maybe this will inspire some old memories from some of your favorite players. Pat texted me midweek telling me how excited you were. So I'm going to let you go first. I'm not going to make you wait. Who is the White Sox LinkedIn player profile this okay. week?
1: You know what? I appreciate that. Uh, I'm, this is probably my favorite one I've done so far. I'm going with Carl Everett, uh, a two time White Sox, two different stints an all-star in 03 and a member of the 05 World Series team is the DH. Um, Yeah. So Carl Everett is a very interesting character. And like most of the good ones in this segment, uh, it's mainly for what he did off the field. So uh, let's get right to it. Uh, Started off, he was drafted by the Yankees in 1990 and then got plucked up by the Marlins in the 93 expansion draft, starting a trend of him not sticking with a team for any noticeable period of time. Uh, A lot of that is due to his, you know, just absolute abrasiveness, you know, getting into shouting matches with umpires, teammates. I believe he once The Red Sox got suspended for headbutting an umpire, just all sorts of just crazy stuff where he wore out his welcome. So yeah, went to the Marlins in 93, traded to the Mets in 95, traded to the Astros in 98, went to the Red Sox in 2000, where he had probably his best years, his first all-star appearance. Um, I think he had a career-high 34 home runs in that 2000 season, and he also in 01 Broke up Mike Musina's perfect game as a pinch hitter on the 27th batter, not with a bunt, but with a base hit. So he did it the right respect the game way. Like I said, with the Red Sox, while with the Red Sox, he got suspended for headbutting an umpire. So guy plays with a lot of passion, obviously. Uh, He was then traded to Texas in 01 after wearing out his welcome, went to the Sox in a trade in 03 where he was an all-star and then left the Sox for Montreal in 04 and then later in 04 was traded back to the White Sox. So he's on the White Sox in 05, was their primary DH that year with Frank Thomas's injuries and had a decent enough season, 23 home runs. Um, He then went to Seattle in 06, where he was DFA'd late in the year, played some indie ball after that for, I believe, two years and was never heard from on the baseball field again after 08. Uh, Overall, you know, pretty decent player, finished his career uh, 14 seasons, so pretty respectable, 271 batting average, 202 home runs two all-star appearances, and that 05 ring. So, you know, pretty good career on the field. So let's get to the -the off-the-field stuff. What is he doing now? Unfortunately, like some of our players, he doesn't really uh, stay too up on LinkedIn. The only information on his LinkedIn page is that he lives in Tampa, Florida, and his experience is retired with the Seattle Mariners, and his only interest is the Seattle Mariners. So, um, yeah, not a lot going on there. But he does have an IMDP. IMDB page and that's where we're gonna get the fun started so I'm just gonna read from here I his first of all his film credits are the 2000 all-star game the 2003 all-star game and the 05 world series where he uh, portrayed himself surprisingly enough (laughs) so anyways uh, his nicknames Jurassic Carl which I will get to more on that later E and big dog his trademark is having a short temper this is on IMDB (laughs) And now we're going to get into his trivia, which this is just awesome. Uh, First, does not believe that dinosaurs existed. So very blunt statement. (laughs) I'll get more into that. Um, Some baseball facts. So he made his debut in July of 93, and then it kind of overviews the, the teams he played for. Next trivia, an apostolic Christian, he believes that the Bible interpreted literally is the infallible authority on all matters, does not believe that dinosaurs existed. So they reiterate that point. Um, it then talks about,
0: wait, hold on, hold on. I'm going to cut you, I'm going to cut you off right there. Um, you're from your tone. You're saying that that's not the case.
1: You know, I've, I've been to the field museum, so I've seen the evidence and the bones. I know I'm a big dinosaur guy. I think, you know, gasoline is all the proof we need, but you know, he does present some very (laughs) compelling evidence that I will dissect in just a few minutes.
0: Please do. So he's
1: got four kids, uh, or yeah, I believe this is for our daughters uh, Kimitria, Shauna, and Alexis, and a son, Carl the Fourth. Um, his next trivia, which is one of my favorites on here, has attained such a dark reputation in baseball. His teammates, Pat, present and former, call him Doctor Evil, which is just absurd.
0: <laughs> That's <is> crazy.
1: <laughs> and then uh, his personal quote: Yeah, that could have happened. This is uh, this is about the moon landing. He was asked about the moon landing. He says, Yeah, that could have happened. It's possible. That is something you could prove. You can't prove dinosaurs ever existed. I feel it's far-fetched. So he is just sticking to his guns that dinosaurs are not real.
0: It's like okay, a, so it's a huge get... conspiracy uh, by, by corporations, right? Big museum, really, just, mm-hmm. just shoving the dinosaur agenda at us.
1: Oh, yeah. No, but this is where it gets great. So he has a lot of controversial quotes. Um, I'll get into some of them, but I'm going to really focus on this dinosaur thing, which is where he got the nickname Jurassic Carl from. So here's his, his best quote. This is just awesome. He, he said, God created the sun, the stars, the heavens, and the earth, and then he made Adam and Eve. The Bible never says anything about dinosaurs. You can't say there were dinosaurs when you never saw them. Somebody actually saw Adam and Eve eating <laughs> apples, which uh, <was>, love <laughs> <of> the apple <laughs> reference there. No one ever saw Tyrannosaurus Rex. He, So this is from Wikipedia, he derided fossils of dinosaur bones as man-made fakes. So he is just going absolutely doubling down on it. To him, the moon landing is a little bit more believable, which eh, I'd probably flip those two things, but, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Another quote about dinosaurs that I'm going to get into, which this is great. Um, this is from an interview in Maxim Magazine in 05 when he was with the White Sox. He said, first of all, paleontologists don't believe one another on their own discoveries. So now he's just going after the whole paleontologist industry. This is where it gets good. How can I believe in people who don't even believe it themselves? And biblically, there's no mention of dinosaurs. According to the word of the Bible, Adam had dominion over all animals. According to man, dinosaurs ruled the earth. So either God's a liar, or, well, I don't believe that God's a liar. So he is presenting a lot of evidence here I'm starting to question dinosaurs myself there's a shadow of a doubt here
0: could you imagine being anti-dinosaur in the time of Jurassic Park being around <laughs> like I'm sure this was like in the 90s like, right they named a damn basketball team yeah. after the after the Jurassic Park the Toronto Raptors got their name because of how much people like Jurassic Park And here's here's Jurassic Carl here just just being a hardo.
1: he's yeah he is very uh you know he's uh Yeah, he's an outspoken guy, and he's really doubling down on this thing, and I I don't think I've ever seen anybody take this strong of a stance on something that is just, like, blatant. Like, I even feel like these flat earthers never got as into that as he is with the dinosaurs. I just want to know. I also, I love, I want to circle back to that quote, because I just love it. Adam had dominion over all animals, and according to man, dinosaurs ruled the earth. So either, basically saying either God's a liar or... And then he just doesn't even finish it because he can't figure out where to go with that. Like, that is just awesome.
0: Well, yeah. And uh, I also love when he said people saw Adam and Eve. People didn't see dinosaurs. Who saw, who saw Adam and, who saw Adam right.
1: and Eve? He's, they saw them eating apples.
0: Nobody. They were the first two people.
1: Yeah, right? So I think...
0: Technically, right?
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, he, he he's sticking to his guns. But he has a couple other interesting quotes I wanted to get to, um, as fun as the dinosaurs war, So uh, let's see what... Other things has he said? Oh, yeah, he wants to implode Wrigley Field because he says it's the worst park in the major. So him and Hawk Harrelson have to get along on that implode um,
0: not explode, yep. right? Implode. So it has, to no, get, implode. They, it has to get sucked into itself.
1: Yeah. The quote is they need to implode Wrigley. So that would probably take a big feat of scientific discovery, but I'm sure he's willing to fund that. Um,
0: also, he has problems with the scientists, so I don't know who he's, he's going to get help to help him. do no, this. I don't know.
1: He's. Let's see. What else? What's another good quote? Uh, so this was about the congressional hearings of steroids in the early two thousands. We have a war going on. I have family in that war. Yet we're talking about steroids. If everybody in the world got on steroids, we'd still lose more kids to a war than we will from steroids.
0: Just two totally different things.
1: <laughs> just yeah. Uh, he might be a good politician, man. He just he just knows just how to make arguments. Zones. Um. <laughs> And the last thing I wanted to bring up in 2011, he was arrested um, on charges of aggravated assault uh, and tampering with a witness uh, after holding a gun to the head of his wife. So not good.
0: Yeah, not good. I, I just want to go back to the uh, what was the last quote before that? That was the. Uh, the, the one. We-
1: if everybody in the world was on steroids, we'd still lose more kids to the war than steroids. In,
0: like, OK, it's like, yeah, what I'm doing is bad. But there are wars going on. That's be, that's that's the same logic as the guys like I'm not going out. I'm not going outside. That's where they dropped the atomic bomb. Is outside.
1: Like, it's 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 infallible logic, man.
0: That is awesome. Okay,
1: dude. But yeah. So I think I think what I think what all this is leading to and is you know maybe this is our last question of the day. Uh, maybe we just wrap up here because there's no beating this segment. Um, do you believe in dinosaurs, Nick? I want you to answer that question. And if you do. Please cite some evidence that proves it, because obviously, you know, I'm buying I'm on Team Jurassic Carl here.
0: The answer is yes. I was a dinosaur freak growing up, like little kid. I could name them all.
1: I was, too. But I mean, have you considered the schools lied to us?
0: They could have lied to us. You know, you know know who lied to us was the people who wanted to make uh, Land Before Time movies. There's a lot of money in lying to children, as we know.
1: Ah, uh, big Cretaceous <laughs> period. You are known liars. You're
0: not a you're not a Triassic or Jurassic period. You're you're a you're a big Cretaceous period guy.
1: The Jurassic, you know, Jurassic. They made documentaries with Jurassic Park, but yeah, the Cre- big Cretaceous is not. I I don't think they're trustworthy people.
0: I want to know who he attributes um, to the quote of dinosaurs ruled the earth. I mean, you've heard it a hundred times, like in documentaries, like ew, 65 million years ago, dinosaurs ruled the earth, and it's just like who takes that literally
1: i think you know what i think it was you remember that scene in jurassic park where the t-rex is like uh like you just killed the velociraptors near the i'm sorry for the spoiler warning to all the people <laughs> out there and it's like roaring in the banner falls that said like when dinosaurs ruled the earth i gotta imagine carl edwards or not edwards uh Everett got like dragged into that movie and just left the theater fuming like this is just absolute garbage, like demanding his money back. I
0: would love to have been a fly on the wall. And then he
1: called up his agent. He's like, get get Maxim on the line. We need to go in on this right now.
0: Yeah, not only that, the interview was in 05, so the movie had already been out for like eight or nine years. So but I would have but I would have <laughs> loved to have seen his personal reaction to seeing Jurassic Park. I would pay damn good money. To-
1: oh I would have paid a lot of money. That would have been that would have been entertaining as hell. But yeah, anyways, that's my uh, easily my favorite segment. Uh, for the LinkedIn player profile. And I'm sorry to lead you off with that. I'm not sure who you got, but ladies and gentlemen, that is the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Evil, Jurassic, Carl Everett.
0: Love it. So I knew you had a big one, so I had to go big too. Uh, I am going Kyle Farnsworth. Um, Kyle Farnsworth was a Cub from 1999 to 2004, and that's actually where he started his career. So Cubs, 99 to 2004, Detroit Tigers and Braves in 05. Yankee in 06 to 08, uh, Tiger in 08, Royal 2009-2010, back to the Braves, then the Rays 2011-2013, Pirates 2013, Mets 2014, Ashes 2014, career. Um, pretty meh, pretty solid um, career, I would say, as a reliever, 43-66 and 66 with a 426 ERA, 963 strikeouts. really think he wanted to uh, get that 1,000, but uh, time just was not letting that happen. Um, but he is actually best known for his fighting skills more than his baseball skills. Um, the famous Paul Wilson charging the mound on a pitch that was just like a regular old inside pitch. If you ask me only to be followed up by uh, our boy, Kyle, absolutely spearing the shit out of Paul Wilson and getting about three or four haymakers in while he's on the ground before pulling, getting pulled off. Um, And that wasn't the only fight he got himself in. He had another uh, fight when he was on the Tigers, and I think another one when he was on the Yankees, I want to say. This guy was just a beast. Um, He does not have a LinkedIn, unfortunately, or there's just way too many Kyle Farnsworths to deal with because I saw a huge list, but I did not see him. But um, to assist me, I used Wikipedia and also a Baseball America article called how farnsworth where are they now so it's kind of um a predecessor to um to our segment because this was written a couple years ago uh last year actually so it's pretty good so i'm just gonna read to you uh fights are never fun said farnsworth who was a black belt in karate things happen to me at the moment i have feelings against anybody about the things that happen he, he beat the shit out of a bunch of people <laughs> so oh he was in the uh O5 yeah, yeah, was another one of his his brawls um but when uh Paul Wilson charged the mound the quote he used was it was a flashback to my football days um a year later Farnsworth took out his frustration on an evaporative cooler and the Cubs dug out the cooler one Farnsworth suffered a hairline fracture in his leg and kicking it and he quote quoted saying my dad told me just kick something so you don't mess up your pitching hand so you kind of know where he gets it um so Kyle Farnsworth, well-known for uh, for his fights. He was a decent pitcher as well. But he was a big dude, right? <laughs> so um, his playing career ended in what? We said 2014, 2015, something like that. 2014 Astros. Um, so what did he do then after that? Um, he's 6'4", 235. Um, he packed on another 20 pounds after retiring of all muscles. So he, he, he was pretty big. He decided to um, play semi-professional football football for the uh orlando phantoms side pro team where he led the league in sacks i want to say two years in a row with 11 each year playing defensive end so it wasn't like or maybe he was a defensive tackle he was huge right so this dude on the mound and you have a guy (laughs) like paul wilson who if you care to look him up he's just not that big of a guy charging this guy i mean so he was just a freak athlete um he kicked major ass and uh, not not as nearly as uh, quotable as uh, as our friend uh, Carl Everett, but definitely a guy that he was just so crazy that you just never knew what was going to happen. Um, while he was on the mount, uh, he did have a little bit of a, um, a stint with the Mexican League too, which I would think would be a lot of fun to watch. I think there's uh, a Kenny Powers uh, comp to be made there for sure. Um, and uh, let's see. There's a little bit more. Oh, yeah. And uh, apparently, according to uh, Orlando fans, uh, the Phantom Faithful, if you will, uh, <laughs> his defensive presence was one of the most intimidating in the league. So uh, this was, is this was when he was like 39 or 40 years old, too. It wasn't like when he was – because he's like 42, 43 now. This was only a couple of years ago. So he was in his 40s I leading, gotta imagine uh, even a semi-pro league in sacks. Um Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's just hell of a hell of athleticism. Just an absolute. I dream.
1: think, you know, my my biggest question for him is if he played now in the age of bat flips, I w- I would love to see that reaction. Like, you know, he's out there for the Royals. Tim Anderson shucks the bat uh, at the dugout. Would Tim Anderson make it to first base?
0: I think he'd get about halfway to second before because, you know, angle of pur- angle of pursuit is something that defensive ends uh
1: that is true. He's clearly very good at that.
0: Yes. So I, I think he would, whatever was the best angle, even if that best angle was between third and home, that guy, he's not touching home plate. I can guarantee you that. But, uh, yeah, that, no, I was just to say that that concludes our LinkedIn player profile. Unless you have something more to add. No, no, that was it. Awesome. So th- this is actually probably collectively like the best week between the two, given, given the circumstances with, with of course, Jurassic Carl holding most of the weight here. Um, But in any case, that concludes episode 20 of the Shoeless Goat Podcast. Uh, We're going to end the same way we always do, though. Pat has not heard this question. He's going to hear it now for the first time. Uh, I kind of just made it up on the spot mid-show, actually. So uh, we talked about how Ryan Braun is my least favorite athlete of all time. Um, But my question to you, Pat, is who is your least favorite White Sox of all time?
1: Oh, my least Mm -hmm. favorite White Sox? Oh, that is an easy answer for me. I. It is, without a doubt, 100%, and I will always feel this way. It's Nick Swisher. I hated that guy from the moment he got here. He just always looks like he had this smug look on his face, like he was good, and he was not. He was terrible. He had, like, 220. Back in the age before, hitting 220 was considered fine, as long as he could walk or whatever the stats people say now. But he was, he was on that 08 division team, so I guess he did something there. But he got benched at the end of the year because when we got it, I mean, originally he was playing the outfield, he could moonlight as a first baseman, but we had kanurko we had Tome, and then he got benched when we picked up a 39 year old or however old he was, Ken Griffey. So, which, you know, Kenny got his guy, but yeah, Nick Swisher just basically played no role on the team after that year left in the off season. It just seemed like he was a just bad presence on that team. Yeah. It's, I guess, you know, maybe there's a couple other uh, seconds on there. Adam Eaton is certainly up there, which, but my dislike of him didn't really develop until after he had left the team. But, I had to go with one guy it is just my this even 11 years later for a guy that played on the team for six months just this burning passion against uh Nick Swisher
0: I don't know how true this story is but I know a buddy of mine's dad was doing some you know selling some jerseys and could not sell a Nick Swisher jersey for the life of him so just left one out on the front lawn uh for someone to take and he woke up and there was two Nick Swisher jerseys on his front lawn
1: (laughs) (laughs) no I, I I believe that he is like I have not met a White Sox fan that enjoyed Nick Swisher's time here. I just not heard of anybody, which is very rare for a White Sox fan base to be that united against like a single player.
0: I feel like that's how I feel exactly to a T about Milton Bradley as a Chicago cub. Uh, Milton Bradley also (laughs) not a believer in dinosaurs or the moon landing. So him and Carl would get along swimmingly also accused
1: we need to get them on a panel.
0: Oh my goodness, do we ever um, Also accused uh, Chica- uh, the public schools of Chicago for being uh, racist because uh, his preschooler was being mistreated. So um, m- most notably though even worse and well, not worse. This, it's nothing worse than that, but I don't think it's true. Um, but also uh, they're playing the Minnesota Twins, he catches a pop up, puts his hands on his hips and throws the ball into the stands. When there's only two outs and the go-ahead and soon-to-be run scores to lose the game, that is that is what I
1: that was a wild sequence when that happened.
0: I was at the the next game after it happened in right field, and every single time an out was recorded, at least fifteen or twenty people were telling him how many outs there were. It was one of the funniest <laughs> things <laughs> that awesome. I've ever seen. So it was pretty awesome. Well,
1: because I remember they played. They play that clip for I got they play that clip on the TV stations like just so many times and I got to imagine if like Twitter was around then in the capacity it is now that thing would have been going around like crazy and I mean you know especially for me back then at my peak of the like you know meatball like oh god I hate the Cubs like dumb like all that uh, that was just that just really got me going. That was like adrenaline right into my veins.
0: Yeah. That's the, that's Chicago's version of the butt fumble. If there ever was one. Anywho. So that is the conclusion of episode 20. Hard to believe we've been doing this for 20 straight weeks, but we have, and it's awesome. Uh, you could check us out on Spotify, iTunes while it's still around. Haven't checked on that yet. I don't think I will. Uh, and LMBF Pat, thank you so much for being on again this week. I hope you had a good time. Uh, any last thoughts?
1: No, you know, I had a good time as always. Uh, You know, good catching a game this week, especially with the being dollar dog night. Um, Uneventful deadline. I am just hoping I can maybe get a winning week one of these weeks with the White Sox. But, you know, that might be asking a little bit too much. The house is going to take five years. I've been reassured by the contractor. It is definitely not taking two and a half. So... Uh, Soxtober 2022, here we come.
0: Can't wait. Uh, and remember everyone, Yachty Molina is not a Hall of Fame. a great week. Go Cubs, go White Sox, and go baseball. Come on,
1: i Make me love